Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. Increasingly, like you start the business, but the, the focus that you need to have on a on the business side of it, given all of these technology changes, the amount of technology you need to be able to do anything well these days, is just such a fundamental different skill set. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 19th May 2022. I am once again Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Brews News, and I'm joined by my senior journalist, Claire Burnett, and industry consultant, Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back. <laughs> hey, Matt. Good to have you back. Welcome back to you. <laughs> In your rightful <laughs> well, place. Exactly. <laughs> me being me. You being you. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's, well, I'm still, uh, well, I'm, I'm still, if there's a sound difference, I'm still doing this remotely. Um, it, yesterday was technically seven days of uh, isolation, but uh, having watched the rat tests, you know, every second day, um, I still thought it was best to stay away, not, not be potentially toxic. So I'm phoning it in, but not phoning it in. Do we want to get straight into the news or we have some tickets to give away? What do you think? Will we news. do that up front? News first. News Ooh, first. Business news first. first with Sabrina. Business. business is in the front, party in the back. <laughs> ah, <yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it, it hasn't been a huge week of, you know, earth-shattering news, but there's still been a lot happening, Claire. So maybe you can talk us through the headlines for the week. Absolutely. I popped to BrewDog last week um, to have a chat about their uh, full year results. So BrewDog Australia has seen an improved performance in 2021 and they're using that as a springboard for growth. So we heard when they first entered the Australian market that they had big plans to roll out a lot of venues. Obviously, COVID hit. So uh, now those plans are back and up and running again uh, and we should expect a venue opening in Melbourne very soon in the next couple of months and uh, in Sydney before the end of the year as well. Um, in terms of their results, uh, Brewdog Australia reported losses of just under 1.1 million. Doesn't sound great, great but it was a 37% improvement on the 1.7 million losses uh, in 2020. A Source Brewing Co in Sydney has launched some part-time brewing traineeships um, that will combine on-the-job experience with the official food processing Cert 3 microbrewery course at TAFE. Uh, the traineeship was funded by a government program called the Boosting Apprenticeships Commencement, uh, which provides wage subsidies for eligible Australian businesses. So a great move there from Source, um, bringing more people into the industry. We've additionally got some moves from Cryer Maltland Convoy, which are really exciting in that space. So Cryer, who's obviously been expanding uh, quite extensively in the past couple of years has announced stage two of its new distribution center in the greater Melbourne area uh, which will include a semi-automatic bagging line um, they've got new custom-built silos a cleaning system and a palletizing robot um, so very much focus on technology and automation at Cryomalt here and the distribution center is set to be operational by June Convoy, on the other hand, is going from strength to strength. So they've announced that they will be integrating um, the acquired business Keg Services. You might remember they acquired them two years ago uh, under the Convoy brand. Um, and they've also, as part of this um, sort of 
moved everyone up. Um, Lincoln Kelly, who was previously general manager of Keg Services, has been promoted to ops director for Convoy Australia in New Zealand. Uh, Nick Becker has been promoted to general manager Australia from sales director. So there's a few promotions going on at Convoy as well. On the Gold Coast, Maddock has brewed a beer with uh, the Belgian Embassy. So you may have heard that Maddock Beer Brewing Company, uh, which has just very recently opened its first brew pub on the Gold Coast, has brewed a beer in collaboration with the Belgian Embassy to help raise funds for the Ukrainian humanitarian project Help on Bee Wings. Uh, The Belgian Honey Blonde Beer at 8.2% percent ABV was made from honey uh, made on embassy grounds in Canberra and will be launched this Saturday at uh, the 21st of May. Now this is a little little bit of news but also a little bit of an ad. <laughs> well, <I'm not> <laughs> Sorry it's, guys. It's certainly we, we can't be accused of uh, just of covering it because it's a uh because it is commercial. <laughs> That's it, yeah, I know. I was a little bit like, should I put this one in? Um, expressions of interest are being sought for Mildura Brewery. So, full disclosure, we are being paid for this advert. Uh, you may have seen over the past week that Mildura Brewery has been placed into admis- in administration by the new management at Brew. Now, the administrators of that business are seeking urgent expressions of interest to acquire the business assets um, of the brewery and brew pub, uh, which could include the IP leasehold website, social media, plant and equipment and stock. Um, you can contact administrators at Worrells and there will be a link in the show notes. And coming up fast is the WA Beer Week. Uh, so the WA Beer and Brewing Conference, uh, as part of that week, has also been launched. Uh, it's been presented by the WA Brewers Association and trade partners Mintani and Cryamalt. So that <laughs> so that's on uh, Friday the 10th of June and will feature technical brewing workshops, sales and market insights, panel discussions uh, about capital investment and more. And we'll be uh, broadcasting from there. Um, which, so you'll be able to hear um, the, one of the rooms um, on the Brewery Pro channel, yep. I think we're, yes. we're going to be Pro. putting that on. So, Excellent. yes. So that's the news that you need to know if you need want to stay abreast of what's happening in the beer industry this week. And uh, with that, we now go below the fold. Not too much out of there that we probably want to talk too much about. Brewdog is always interesting. And, um, you know, once <laughs> yeah. upon a time, a mainstay, you know, for those who say that we only have certain themes, I don't think we've talked about Brewdog for, for quite some time. Yes, they've been keeping their heads though, below the parapet there, I think. <laughs> well, it, it, it's been interesting. We used to cover Brewdog a lot more when they were talking about coming to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that they have a, a footprint here and they don't seem to have been rocked by the same sort of um stories here that have happened internationally um even though it's the same company um but it, it was just interesting when we reported you know a, as we do with all businesses um with, with their financials that when we reported them this there doesn't seem to be a lot of beer geek love for, for the brand anymore if you saw the facebook page yeah. did you see that there was a lot of i didn't realize there would be such animosity I'm going to put it out there. Like, mm. yeah, it just, it's I'm su- surprised. I was surprised that they were continuing with expansion plans given oh, okay. how, like, the Australian beer market is full of high quality Australian breweries and brew pubs. So, that once upon a time, that like brew dog sort of experience was quite um, distinct, but it's just not anymore. And I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I, my first thoughts went to, I wonder if they're getting, 
I would be surprised to see that they're getting government money from the other states to open, which is obviously oh, what supplement, <laughs> which is obviously what supplemented and enabled them to to um, enter the market here. But with losses of that level, to be continuing to expand in a crowded in an even in the time since they first launched in Australia. Mm-hmm. The number of craft breweries and the the size and scope of some of our medium-sized breweries, I I don't know, I just found it surprising. Well, I think they can – I mean, that's the benefit of being a multinational with deep pockets, isn't it, that you can sort of leverage their position – They've got a plan. They know it works. They've rolled out in lots of other countries. They know that this is the way that they can do it. Um, and maybe this is like a window of opportunity for them to roll this brand out. But I was thinking, um, we were speaking about Feral the other week, about mm. how Feral, we hadn't seen much of it. We weren't yeah. sure what was going on. We didn't realise how, like, if they were big, if they were still going yeah. strong. And I think that's the same with BrewDog. I think they they attract a market and are interested uh, interesting to people that necessarily are not in the craft beer space that we see all the time yeah. every day. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Lot, it, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of things on on what you've both raised. And I, I guess the first thing is you'd really hope that no state government's giving them any One would hope funding not. to open a bar. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's what... outrageous. <laughs> yeah, and I'll preface this by saying nothing against Brewdog. This isn't, but it was outrageous that the Queensland government was so ignorant of its own industry yeah that it saw and 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 so unknowing about the economics and the industry development that they funded an international competitor to come here and compete against their own breweries giving money real hard currency dollars to a business that they weren't giving to their own industry and um, haven't in that time and and, and, and haven't, haven't matched it since yeah and, 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 it, and haven't matt i just want to say i think right at the start like the team the guys at the, the team, all of the guys and gals at Brewdog Brisbane are all lovely humans. This is not yep. about – Great venue, yep. all of that, make, making good beer. And, and this all isn't about bashing Brewdog. Exactly. This is about yeah, any international competitor that w- when we have a skill shortage in Australia already, um, you know, no shortage of home capital investing in it to lure a in, – in so, so that's one thing. Um, so you hope that they, they're, they're not. Um, but secondly, I, I – I, just on your point, Sabrina, about their losses, um, and, and again, not drawing comparisons, um, which certainly wouldn't be flattering, but, you know, I, I guess that's the WeWork, the Uber um, model. BrewDog is an international brand. You know, they, they need to have a sale at some stage and they, they need to have an IPO at some stage yeah. because of the way that they have grown and, and, and are structured. And the only way that they're ever going to be able to do that is to become a truly national brand. And if that means investing in losses um, as they expand their retail experience and, and their, their retail platform, then that's what they have to do. It's fascinating to see. Um, did we have this conversation on the pod or not? I can't remember, but, we, you know. Um, <laughs> Welcome to 10 years of podcast. I know. But maybe we just had it in the office, but we were discussing about how Starbucks didn't work in Australia. Yes. So that Starbucks wor- has worked internationally almost in every market, but it did not work in Australia in the same way because the Australian market uh, – and there's, you know, 
this is taught in management schools now at universities, sort of what the failure and lack of understanding of the local market was. And I just, as I was reading this and I was thinking about BrewDog and I was thinking about it, I thought, I wonder if this is going to be the Starbucks, right? Like it's this international brand that has rolled out retail that thinks it's it, it can take a model that, that it's known, as you said, Claire, that works, but it's just fundamentally misunderstood the market and will will be proven right or wrong because Starbucks's plan is – have such a strong international retail yeah. presence that it can't be I love undone. that one. And I also love, and I don't know if you guys ever, you would have seen much coverage of it, but Bunnings trying to get into England. In UK, yeah. People in the UK don't, changing rooms ended like 10 years ago. We don't do DIY. Yep. <laughs> like we just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> well, and that was like a fundamental misunderstanding of the market you're going into. Whereas I don't think BrewDog's would ever misfire that badly. <laughs> I, I guess the flip side with that is that it's craft beer and it's hospitality, which is universal. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it is. My criticism before BrewDog opened here was when you saw BrewDog, you know, Florence, for example, and you're going, well, Italy has a very strong, <laughs> interesting beer culture. If you're just going to plunk, you know, like yep. the Irish Murphy's Hotel, you know, the, you know that yep. Irish theme bar without making it regional um what is it but then again mcdonald's is is global and you know if breweries are going to grow they have to become for for one of a better term more generic brands yeah. you know and, and it always used to amaze me that you would go down to queen victoria markets in melbourne which has amazing food amazing you know like you know offer and then there's a mcdonald's there and it survives because some people just want the security of the brand <laughs> yeah and I did ask Calvin that as well, Matt. Um, I was like, what about BrewDog? Do you think, why do you, can you make it in the Valley just as much as you could make it uh, in Las Vegas or yeah. Moray or <laughs> yeah. like Berlin or whatever? And he was like, well, at the start, we were like, well, this is just a beer brand and that's it. But then we realized that we had to change and we had to bring in spirits and we had to look at what was locally available and we had to look at local produce and Maybe a nod towards that for Brewdog, but also keeping what the what the McDonaldization of Brewdog. Well, it will just be fascinating <laughs> to see because standard. Melbourne and Sydney are full of breweries and hospitality mm-hmm. venues, experiences, mm-hmm. and um, you know really high quality local owned beer, craft beer brands offer experiences so where they locate and what it looks like it'll just be fascinating to see whether in 12 months time you're reporting continued losses yeah we'll have well, to I, I, look I, potentially we will it, it, it does take a while as, as they scale and they invest in the business and you know it, it the, the interesting thing about this growth story is initially they were building a 50 heck brewery <laughs> they have that to 25 that bit, <laughs> um well it, 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 like it's, it's i mean it's not a god you don't take it no no, either, no but but for the radically transparent business, you know, they announced something, the government supported something. You know, when I contacted the Queensland government to say, hey, did you know that they've halved the size of the brewery? They didn't. Um, so, you know, there, there was a whole lot of interesting stuff going on. But clearly, um, I, I think the smaller brew kit gave them more flexibility as they grew. And, you know, they, they've invested in a pasteurizer because they're making their alcohol-free bit. They're doing so much, you know – um, objectively good stuff here that they're, they're investing, they're making beers, they're understanding the market, they're appreciating our preference for mid-strength beers, and, and they are learning. So none of this is 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 Brewdog, but yep. you know, and they're I investing at- in people, right? So mm-hmm. like that's the other thing. You know, we've got such a shortage of talent, but they are investing in 
growing some brewery talent here at the brewery, bringing people through over the past couple of years. So, you know, all of that good stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I guess, you know, I've talked about my, um, you know, rocket ship analogy before is that, you know, every brewery goes off with a bang, you know, like that, they, they, they take off, they have momentum, but there is all of this gravity um, in, in, in the business that is constantly weighing them down. And, and you need to get to that escape velocity to actually become a, a, a business that breaks into the mainstream. And unfortunately, you lose some of the customers, you know, to, to, to become a global brand, you're going to lose some of those people who love the small esoteric brand or love the local mm-hmm. brand or, you know, want to be the insider. And that's one of the huge challenges that every craft brewery has to face if you want to scale and particularly if you want to scale to the level that they um, want to scale to mm-hmm. they, they, they need to become you know a brand that resonates with people who don't necessarily know anything about beer but they just know when they like the feel of a pub and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a, a beer that they can recognize on the shelves and they'll buy and that they'll get some you know reflected glory from their yeah. you know social group who may, may or may not know about it as well you know which is what brands do to us so it's it, it, it's interesting good you know Good, good luck to them, but, uh, you know, it, it, it looks like they've got some challenges as well. Well, even in your discussion with Louise from Cooper's, so the last... Great discussion, by the way. Yeah. Doesn't she sound brilliant? She sounds... She's so... Like, she's cool. It's, we like it's, Louise. It's so fascinating because, you know... Um, you know, when they when they teach you sort of succession planning for family-owned businesses and governance, they you, they talk about the third generation is usually where it drops off. Mm-hmm. So to hear them talk about it being, I think, sixth Six. generation, yeah. and and even for her to talk about the rules that were in place, like keeping the the structure and the family ownership, the, the complexities involved there are so fascinating. Yeah. And but she was talking about so what brought that up for me was she was talking about they need to continue to expand and grow um, because they've got 200 plus employees they need to be able to you know keep thinking about the future to have a thriving business now and into the future and so you know expansion albeit in a different way um, you know even Cooper's at 150 years is still pushing that'd be Mm. good Actually, and something that we didn't cover in news because we, we, we tend not to during the expression of interest phase, but uh, Akasha um, has launched a yes. equity crowdfunding because – and, and yeah. this is the, the, the link with um, BrewDog. So we'll, we'll cover Akasha as news, um, as, as we always do once – the you know the actual offer is out and we can see the financials and things because you know Akasha are a fantastic business I love um, you know Dave would be really uh, you know one of those people who I know will do it right um, I'm very confident would do it right but we just have a policy um, that we have to be consistent with across um, you know our, our our coverage is until the financials are there when they're in the, the expression of interest phase I call that the hype phase you know where they're trying to drive interest um and you know create the fear of missing out or at least previous breweries have um and certainly uh you know some from other um platforms have done this you know very effectively um so we normally don't cover them but one of the interesting conversations i had with dave um you know when i spoke to him about it was you know they are expanding they, they need capital you know they've they've got very few i think um i don't think they've got any outside investment or very small outside investment um in, in the business so far and one of the great problems that any brewery has um or any business um you know brews news has it is how do you fund growth yep. um 
you know, do you uh, do, do you go to the bank and, and take a mortgage, um, which is, you know, risky. And, you know, Chuck Hahn talks about when interest rates went up in the 90s, his profitable business was essentially closed by banks because they got cold feet um, about the industry and interest rates were 17%. So, you know, or do you do an IPO, which if you're as small as a brewery like Akashi, you can't do. Um, and that's where, you know, you know, Brewdog you know, is in that interesting phase and uh, all, all breweries have to work out how they fund their growth. Yeah, it's, um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Akasha. It's so fun to see, and this sounds a bit sort of um, paternalistic or something, I don't know how to <laughs> phrase it, but it's fun to see ba- the little babies grow, you know. Like <laughs> you want all the businesses to be successful and so it's good to see them doing it, you know. Um, oh, yeah, but it, 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 I think it's one of the dirty secrets or one of the sad um, challenges, you know, and, and I know I hark back to this a bit, you know, the, the, what the promise of the craft beer movement was that we're going to do it differently, we're going to do it better, we're going to, you know, people are going to buy our beer because they're passionate about what we do. And to some extent, that's all true. But then, you know, we constantly see businesses having to change their, you know, for want of a better term, pure craft business model um, to, you know, do things um, differently, whether it's equity crowdfunding or whether it's, you know, getting into seltzers or... Even Steve the other week, when I spoke to Steve at Blaster, he was like, I'm not sure about craft because, like, we're going to be really automated. Do we count as craft if we've got really high levels of technology and automation in our brewery? Does that make us not craft anymore? Yeah. And I thought that was a very fair point and something that he'd obviously considered. And, and those level of um, things were once discussed, you know, because big breweries, they're all automated and, you know, like handmade. And you still see brewers talking about, you know, handmade beers. Well, I don't know how you do that because, you know, like it's consist- you know, consistency, cleanliness, um, you know, quality, all of those things benefit from modern technology. But, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's one of those fascinating conversations that we have to have. But growth is still the hardest one. That was one of the themes, I mean, you kind of touched on it there, but when I looked at the news um, altogether this week, um, you've got sort of this this growth in integration from Convoy, but you've also got um, the technology and growth at Cryer. And it's it's sort of – and both of them hinge on new technology um, or, or maybe not new technology but harnessing technology to do things better, differently, more efficiently – and we often, we, Bruce News, um, have often talked about it. When you sit on the periphery, you've got these sort of the suppliers in the industry and the people that are sort of around the industry. This speaks a lot to the confidence that those suppliers have in the continuation of beer, craft beer, however we want to describe it, because they they are themselves investing heavily in um in improvements to their businesses to continue to service the 598 plus breweries. So that says a really good thing about um, the confidence that the people on the outside see for the industry as a whole. So that's great. And they're watching all of these businesses grow in Australia and we've just talked about a few of them. But it is talking about this um, this impending uh, – and, Claire, you've touched on it is sort of from sustainability perspective – you know, technology, the adoption of technology um, in all its forms throughout the brewing process itself, throughout sort of businesses, even when we think of um, direct-to-consumer sales, you know, this thread of being abreast of 
market-leading technology and being able to adopt all of those things for your brewery, as a business owner, a small business owner, it's less and less about making beer and crafting beer. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it, it used to always be, you know, you were this – and it's the classic – Three dudes in a garage. Yeah, we were yeah, making yeah. home brewing it, but so many brewers that you're seeing, um, even we just uh, and I don't know if we covered it, but um, even just sober have announced a new head brewer. So mm-hmm. increasingly, like you start the business, but the the focus that you need to have on a on the business side of it, given all of these technology changes, the amount of technology you need to be able to do anything well these days, it's just such a fundamental different skill set. Well, we've talked about it in terms of like the professionalization of the industry, Uh, potentially maybe more in like being more sophisticated in your employment practices and stuff like that, rather than the technology side of things. Um, But that's part of it, you know. Instead of being brewers, we're becoming business people to yeah, a certain it, extent. Yeah, it really and, – and these sort of stories, like that's what I sort of um, – that was the sort of reflection that I took away because, you know, you've got um, you've got to be smart at, at, at unlocking um, funding for traineeships. You've got to be smart – you, you know, you've got to constantly be looking at all of these things and it's such a big job but I just sort but of – But again, th- these are all problems that uh, small business – like Brews News that grew out of a blog, basically. It was just, yep. you know, um, like a home brewer that suddenly opened a brewery. Um, and it's not nearly as capital intensive, unfortunately, as, as brewing. But, you know, the more you have to start thinking about things like HR, the less you actually do the writing yourself. And that's the same of, of brewing. So there, there is, you know, every growth comes with, you know, a, a, an opportunity cost or, you know, a, a challenge that needs to be overcome. Um you know, it, 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 it's, it's very, very hard. But we are, you know, we are seeing it. So I guess that's sort of my takeaway is people are investing. They're still doing innovative things. Yep. Even on the funding side of things, like the fact that, and this was, oh, this is old news now, but um, when we did the manufacturing modernisation fund and that was like 5 million between a f- handful of breweries, maybe 10. Um, but the year before, nobody had applied for it. Yeah. No breweries had looked into it. Now Mike Clark at Source has gone and looked at this uh, boosting apprenticeship commencement, which does the wage subsidies. Um, we're becoming more sophisticated in the way we do things and we're looking outward, out of the industry for inspiration and funding and all sorts of different things, which is really cool. Exactly. It's really cool. And that traineeship one, um, you know, I know that in NZ a couple of years ago, we were really trying to encourage, you know, same thing, looking at the long-term workforce challenges knowing in particular in small businesses that often the head brewer is the owner and so they kind of don't move, which then means people have got nowhere to move up to and so they're leaving. But, you know, constantly trying to fill the bottom, um, you know, entry-level brewers so that over time you've got enough skill set. And we were really focused on, you know, traineeships was such a great way and there was funding available to our breweries to do it, but it just wasn't something that was systemic or commonplace. And so... um, you know, I think you mentioned there that um, Richard from Young Henry's had been involved in getting that TAFE course off the mm-hmm, ground. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, starting to see those relationships there and getting the traineeships, it's such a smart way to do it. It's yep. it's money for the person working in the industry. It's money for the brewery. And it's money that other businesses are tapping into. So hopefully by sharing this, Claire, other breweries will be like hey maybe maybe this is available for us absolutely and if anyone wants to have a look into that particularly if you're in TAFE New South Wales sort of area um 
the boosting apprenticeship commencement is open for the next 42 days. So you've got a month and a bit to, if you want to have a look at that and see if you could potentially do a little source type traineeship thing. Um, But I'll keep in touch with Mike and see how that goes because I reckon they will have had quite a few entrants on that one. (laughs) Um, Sorry about your inbox, Mike. (laughs) Now, I'm I'm also going to throw this into that because, you know, growth isn't hard even just for small, unsophisticated um, businesses. Uh, And we had a comment in the mailbag this week um, about Mighty Craft. So I might roll that in. Um, I, I might leave the... Oh, pre-mailbag the, mailbag. The, the, okay. the letter, but we'll just sort of talk about it because because um, it, it, it is relevant to this discussion. It was interesting to see um, a, a rash of stories about Mighty Craft talking about how, um, you know, two comedians built the fastest growing beer brand for eight years uh, that was in the financial review and then a number of other places as well talking about the success of Mighty Craft but I found it very interesting this was a story that originated I understand from a media release given the uh, similarity of all of the stories that were appearing in very different publications um, but the uh, in a media release talking about how wonderful it was for um, Mighty Craft that they're going to generate sales of 10 million and how successful it is um, it goes on to say the growth is providing Mighty Craft with some indigestion it has a cash flow dilemma as it moves to capitalise on the success of the brand, which produced sales of $3.4 million in the month of March alone. Mighty Craft Chief Executive Mark Hazeman said his group was now looking at non-core assets elsewhere in its portfolio of craft beer, spirits and other beverages to help fund the extra capital requirements. It's unusual to get this sort of scale so fast, he said. And, yeah, it absolutely is. This is a unicorn um, of a beer. And, you know, Nick and the Inspired Unemployed guys have really come up with something that has resonated. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on that in the mailbag. But I, I just find it really interesting that the brand that started as, um, you know, Founders First, that was meant to be an incubator and a, a accelerator for small businesses, um, is now cash-strapped um, when it, it hasn't had to invest in, capital itself but to, to fund the growth of this beer so you know given we've been watching fairly closely its financial performance they've been cash strapped you know even for their whiskey play they had to do a um you know a, a, a capital raise so they've invested been investing very heavily in a very expensive model that seems to be you know fairly top heavy in terms of corporate executives um and yeah sizable salaries there very, very sizable salaries, which is adding to its, you know, it, it, its lack of fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it also as a, as a toll brewer, as a brewer that, you know, basically faxes through its order, you know, and not that they do that, you know, they, they work, you know, but now they've got the beer, they can fax through the order to the brewery and have it done and they just need to pay for it. They don't need to expand capacity and put in new tanks the way small breweries do. This just seems like, um, you know, very much a uh, the sort of PR offensive for a business that's going to be looking to do a, another market capital raise, you know, getting in the financial review. And the share price does seem to be under, you know, a little bit of pressure. It's down around 25, 26 cents from, a, you know, highs. I'm surprised the AFR is happy to be used like that. <laughs> Do you guys know who the largest shareholders were? Because I saw someone on uh, LinkedIn who was, um, you know, a, they were one of the companies that were one of the shareholders in Mighty Craft um, sharing 
uh, the AFR article and being very excited about their shareholding in this company that has the association, you know, not full ownership of Better Beer, but, you know. Um, and so it was just interesting. I, I started thinking about, gosh, I wonder who, you know, to be that excited about it when you're a, a minority, I guess, shareholder where you hold a lot, you know, I think it was like, I looked at it, it was like 7% or something, I could be wrong. I just sort of thought, I wonder, you know, they they obviously receive more information than mm. we do. I just I just wonder where it's all going. But to your point, Matt, maybe it's a capital raise and so. Oh, look, I, I, this was very much a PR, um, you know, in, in the markets. I was going to say, I didn't you know, get Boosting the business. Press release, Matt? Why didn't no, we get well, this press release? No, no, <laughs> we, we didn't get the press release. I'm, I'm surmising that it was from a press release um, from things I've been told ah. and also the, the similarity of coverage across a number of, you know, I think Man of Many, which is a male lifestyle publication and things like that, you know, were basically running the same story. Um, so, you know, clearly it's, you know, mm. and funnily enough, we saw it when Stone and Wood, you know, in the six months before Stone and Wood announced its sale when they were supposedly trying to raise money for their new brewery, um, you know, we saw, you know, stories in the AFR talking about how they were, you know, looking at potential IPOs and things like that, all of which is, you know, rational, you know, rattling the cash tin to see, you know, what money comes out, I, I, I presume. Um, but, you know, what the long-term future for shareholders, particularly small shareholders who, you know, we did a story when Brew launched um, about why it was suddenly valued at $100 million and a financial analyst said it's because you can't buy shares in CUB, you can't buy shares in Lion. Um, you know, most breweries don't have, um, you know, shares. So I think the only one was Gage. So to get behind an Australian-owned brewery was very you know, particularly with that sort of brand that appealed to people that, you know, you know, for tradies and people um, who maybe have an investment in beer and love the idea of having a share in beer. Um, but that, that's what this sort of story does. So we did whip up interest for the Mildura Brewery, um, but I did want to, <laughs> yes. sorry, well, sorry, I know we should. Speaking brew and the difficulties. <laughs> yeah. And um, now we did spot the administrations and everything last week, um, but, Currently, Brew is still in um, some sort of trading halt on the ASX, so they haven't released any more information about that. And um, I don't know, this sort of narrative I've been hearing around it is, oh, it's, this is just another step on the way down, like blah, blah, blah. But my thought was, not initially that, and maybe I am being too positive, so I'm keen to, to hear what you guys have to say about it. But I think when you buy a new house, you strip out all the shit that you don't want in that house. <laughs> Do you not? Is that not how you do it? You go, oh, I don't like it like that. <laughs> well, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. I, the, the, the business has been on the market for mm. close to a year now because we, we ran. Mm. You know, we've actually ended up making some money out of that. Uh, <laughs> as, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, but, I think they, they were asking for a fair bit. Um, oh, they, they were talking yeah. $6 million for yeah. uh, no no chance of it um, yeah. ever going for that. And, uh, you know, you've got the brew house, you know, secondhand brew houses are worth next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, the interesting thing that's going to be very interesting when the financials come up is when brew bought the brewery, they said in one of their financial reports um, that's in our long sort of summary of brews finances that they didn't want to actually become landowners. So they didn't yeah. – so they actually – only bought the brewery and the brand and then sold the land you know, in, in the building to another company that happened to be owned by 
um, two of the founders of Brew, um, but as a separate business. And they, I don't think, or certainly not that I can remember finding the yeah where they apportioned the cost of the business versus the cost of the land. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see, given that this is going to be sold as a package, presumably, um, you know, where, how, how that Kent's your landlord. Well, I, I, well Kent doesn't have a, Kent doesn't have a share in that business anymore. Oh, he um, doesn't. He, right. he did originally, but I believe when I looked at when I last looked at the um, uh, share holdings or the 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 uh, you know, and and it's very expensive to to do this incidentally, um, which is one of the great flaws with Australian corporations uh, law is that you have to pay money every time you want to check um, the structure of a business, um, which doesn't really aid transparency. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see once, if and when that brewery si- sells, how the various sales figures are apportioned between the the, the land and the and, and the business. Yeah, I think Claire's point there around. You know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago about who those directors were, what their business was, the new directors, what the business is that they're involved in together because they're involved in another business together. But it does seem that they've come on board with a view to taking action, which in a direction. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that all rolls out in the long term, you know, but at least they're taking action to do some things. Yes, which... I still think is a positive. However, yeah. I yeah, I agree. I'm, I don't know. I agree. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about Rue than what they tell me. So <laughs> <laughs> now, just uh, flashing back, I just uh, fired a quick um, uh, message off to my source of all things financial. And uh, if, if you're interested in who the top shareholders in um, Mighty Craft are, um, do, do we want to hear? Oh yes. yeah, go on. Yep. This is interesting. Um, okay. Um, now, let me see. And I won't give the numbers, but um, the, the number one shareholder is Stephen Dorman, who's an individual, and I think he was uh, – I think he was in, just sort of quickly Googling him. Um, he seems to have been involved in um, Adelaide Hills Group, which was um, – oh. uh, yeah. Mismatch Brewing, yep. Hills, uh, let me see. So Steve Dorman and Toby He's Klein the- established Adder Hills Cider in 2010. So right. they obviously got shares. Um, As part of in, the acquisition. That's it. So they're one and two um, with 5.27. Clearly, you know, uh, then CRG Operations, Greenscape Capital, um, Discovery Investments. So Seppertsfield, PTYLTD, um, Stuart Morton, Daniel Wales, who are both um, founders of uh, Mighty Craft. Um, then, yeah, uh, and a couple of other founders, Mark Hazemans, uh, in, in the top 15. Um, well, they definitely get shareholdings as part yeah. of their, um, their remuneration, their remuneration total remuneration, because yeah. I remember seeing that in the last um, financials, and they're definitely increasing the number of shares that they're receiving as part of their remuneration. Good idea. Yeah. So, and, and there's a couple of proprietary limited companies that seem to be potentially associated with um, – uh, some of the acquisitions as well or, um, you know. But there are definitely uh, some investments. independent, totally independent companies oh, well, that have invested. Th- th- that's where we like. There's Greenscape Capital, yep. PTYLTD, CRG Operations. Again, it's very hard to tell from the um, from, from from the businesses exactly what it is without actually you know, digging into the yep. capital structures of, of those businesses. But it doesn't seem to have been, um, you know, a lot of – 
you know, even small cap um, hedge funds or investment no. businesses uh, rounding out the top 20 anyway. So you know, given that you go down to less than 1% um, in the top 20 um, and the top 20 own a combined 40%, um, you can imagine that there's a lot of small individual investors who are um, you know, in, in invested in it, mm. who you know, would be the sort of people that you would be reading the AFR and, um, you know, Feeling good about their investment. Feeling good about their investment, which, which again, like you know, who knows? You know, they they've got this brand that is has been described as the next great northern, which uh, you know is is very exciting. So, if you needed to rebrand your cans, Matt, because you had discovered what, the next to be great, the new great northern, to be the new great northern, <laughs> new great northern. where do you think you might go? Well, it, it, it's actually not where I would go. It's where our good friends at Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging are going because they're hitting the road this week um, or next week, heading to Launceston and Hobart um, from Sunday through to Thursday. So if you want to find out what Rowling's can do for you, Tasmania uh, Tasmanian listeners, and I know that you're out there, um, you can get in touch with Brad from Rowling's and he can swing by your brewery. Um, if you feel like you could benefit from Rowling's services that we have been uh, – enthusiastic supporters of here um you can give them a call on 1300 852 you'll find that number in the show notes um to make time to catch up with brad whilst he's in your area um brad will also be at the aiba's presentation awards on thursday night and then gab's on friday so if you want to find out more about the good people at rallings he'll probably be spending a bit of time with us so if you see us you might as well see him um he would love to have a chat, and he even said he may even buy a few cheeky beers. So, um, as you all know, Rallings can help you with all your brewery packaging needs, from labels, shrink sleeves, applied to cans, cartons and tray, barcodes and tap decals. You can give them a call on 1300-852-235. Cool. Well done. Very smooth. I think that's a, a lot more below the fold than we were actually expecting, but we might go to Mailbag. Proudly presented by New Zealand Ale Trail. Head to NewZealandAleTrail.com or at New Zealand Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. And having just been to the US and, you know, you, you sort of have to try and find a map um, to, to find your way around a city, um, it, it, something like an Ale Trail is always very valuable. So if you're heading to New Zealand, check out the New Zealand Ale Trail to be your guide and uh, beer Sherpa. Um, now, Claire, an email from Grant Mc... <laughs> Germain to, to, to you? Yes, I know. So Grant said, hey there, I just recorded an interview with Louisa Thomas, the conference director at Auspac 2022, and at the end of the interview, she dropped a boom as I was switching up, switching it off. While Louisa is also from the UK, she doesn't know Claire, but I suspect that they share a similar background. So the question is, can Australia survive two booms in the room? Of course. <laughs> I welcome more booms, and then I don't have to do it. <laughs> I really love, like... We get some really um, <laughs> in-depth, yeah, intellectual yeah. feedback on things that we've said really <laughs> like in-depth about industry. And then we also get stuff like this and it's just so lovely. Isn't it? Like It's it the feels- party in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Claire's the party in the back. Oh, so, uh, yeah, Grant, go for it. I'm, it's not, I've not trademarked it. I don't think I could. <laughs> Speaking of party in the back... Last week, two weeks ago, um, we had the good fortune of going to Gabs at Brisbane. We did. Um, and caught up with a lot loads of, of people. Loads of people, lots of breweries, lots of industry folks. And uh, 
tomorrow, uh, Friday, is um, Gab Sydney, which has moved to the ICC at Darling Harbour. And so they're expecting it to be the largest Sydney Gabs ever. Uh, Just speaking to Mike this morning. And then, of course, the following week uh, is Gab's Melbourne, which will be on the Friday and Saturday following the AIBAs. And so We Brews News have been given 10 to 15 trade tickets to help support, you know, industry that might want to come along and hang out either with us or with the Gabs crowd. So, um, Matt, the best way for people to get in touch, um, obviously Sydney's on tomorrow. So, um, you know, you've got to get in Got to be quick. As you listen to this, people listen to this pretty much as soon as it downloads. So if you listen to this and you're in Sydney and you'd like a trade ticket, uh, maybe jump on the Facebook group and uh, say yes, please. Uh, Yes, please. And also we will need um, email addresses. So um, just register your interest, first 15 um, for Sydney Gabs and then same with Melbourne Gabs. Um, And all three of us will be down at Melbourne Gabs. We will, and I'll be at Sydney. And I'll be at Sydney tomorrow. So um, we look forward to catching up with everyone there. And I was thinking about New Zealand beer party at the back. Um, Garage project are going to be there, and I'm really excited. Um, <laughs> and you know, what? we're not actually going to be recording anything at uh, no, we're just hanging Melbourne out. Gabs this year because every year I make the mistake of saying, "Look, everyone's there. We got. We're going to get some great content. We're going to record." And it, it, it takes 45 minutes to cross the floor because you run into everybody <laughs> that you want to talk to. And yeah. so you constantly stress about not doing the work you told yourself you're going to do. So we're just going to be sitting around having beers and hopefully we'll get to have some beers with some of our... And there's so many events on around in particular Melbourne Gaps yep. that it's almost sort of overwhelming how many events are trying to be crammed into the couple of days um, around the AIBAs and Gaps. And so um, we're just going to go and... Hang out. Yeah, and, and because it's certainly valuable time and, and we love catching up. So if, if you're there and you see us, come up and uh, have a beer with us. We'd love to love to chat. Um, now, uh, moving on in the mailbag, another message. Now, this harkens back to what we've talked about. Um, Daniel Massey on the Facebook group, whilst the contents of the article, that's the AFR article that we discussed, are not new, covered by the RBM team, as, as we do, you know, because we keep – that's what we do. The comments I do find interesting is, is it the same growth as 0.0 beer for the Mighty Craft brand where people grab some to try and won't go back? Personally, I am in that camp. Um, he got a six-pack, uh, was good for zero-carb beer, but was nothing special. I know several mates who bought a case when it was new due to the branding and haven't got one since. Does it have legs to stand the test of time? Look, That's time question. This is better beer, Matt. This, better is, this beer. is better beer, yeah. 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 And I reckon that Mighty Craft will be asking themselves that themselves. This seems to be a genuine beer. Like we, it, it is very hard to pick the hype from the from the substance um, in in this industry. And you know, zero point zero beer is one of those things that you know is absolutely substantial and will grow. But the noise that it's making is far greater than the um, you know what you actually see. On the flip yeah. side, there are real numbers behind the, the 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 better beer, and you know we actually have people emailing us going, can't find it in our shops because when they Google um, better beer, they find Brews News and they just assume that you know we know something about it. <laughs> so, oh look, we we get a lot of that, but you know 
you you, you do it, it still does provide a data point for you know how, how it's growing and you do see it out there you see people talking and, and just looking at the volumes um it it, it it is going and i've actually been spending a bit of time on the um inspired unemployed website and looking through and they did a really great video um i, I can see why they're so popular on social media because they're very genuine very engaging people and they did a video about how it came about <laughs> I, I will say that none of the video actually mentions mighty craft it talks about you know how they caught up with nick cogger they wanted to do a beer they had all of these brands approaching them um you know throwing you know as happens with any influencer that the brands come sniffing around wanting to get a little bit of the magic and they wanted to do it themselves and you know the, the, the story that they told seemed to be very genuine and very honest and very engaging, you know, in because they caught up with Nick because if you go back and listen to the podcast I did with uh, yep. Nick Cogger, um, you know, he when he he had them along to a kombucha, um, his K-Booch, I think it was, event, and he'd booked them as, as a guest appearance, you know, back when they were a little bit cheaper than they would be now. Um, and they reached out to him and it was a really nice video telling the story um, about how it came about. And look, I honestly think, you know, this has, you know, serious growth. It'll go through the same over the, over a long term, um, you know, it'll, it'll at some point reach a peak and how big that peak is, we don't know. Um, I, I suspect that they're going to be bought out by one of the big players um, well before them and, uh, you know, have money in the bank before they have to worry about well, what we- it's, we know Scale that they, in the latest annual report, talked about another release under the Better Beer brand. Uh, so, they've snuck out a 0.0 beer, an alcohol-free beer. Right, okay, that's what that is. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, uh, Daniel here is, you know, we can crystal ball everything, but, you know, it's been, what, a, not even a year since its release. And so, you know, in another two years' yeah, time... Barely six months since it's released. Yeah, so in another, you know, two years' time, you'll be able to tell really whether it's got legs or not. Mm. But it's doing really well now. And so, you know... And it's, it's, it's not been in the market for very long. It's less than six months. So, um, you know, and, and it, it, it's certainly uh, growing. Um, and it, it's it, it's the strongest brand in that category, um, I would argue. Yeah. Um, and it's got the full support. Uh, the, I guess the one thing for them is, at the moment, they're exclusive to um, Coles and Woolies. So, you know, um, does that reduce their market? I don't. I don't know how the retail thing works. It's certainly a great boost when you have that level of support from one of the the, the big retailers. But does it lessen your growth when you're not like a Great Northern, you know, w- w- which is everywhere? Yeah, I just think the whole thing is going to be truly fascinating and, and I think that the big retailers, who they choose to back over the next few years is going to be the game changer for mm. any business. Mm. Now, if, if um, I have tried um, better beer and it, it's certainly, you know, it's not the sort of beer that I would go to. It's not my, shall we say, beer of the week, but it's certainly a, a beer that is very, very popular. But, you know, um, beers of the week uh, – has anyone had a good beer this week? Because I know that our good friends at Bluestone Yeast um, are very interested in what our beers of the week are. Um, and, in fact, they're so interested that they bring you beer of the week. Uh, is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than two billion cells per milliliter. And I've got my little finger to the corner of my mouth as I say billion. Uh, whether you are after a one-off pitch or you are looking <laughs> – 
Now, this isn't a one-off pitch. This is a regular pitch on our behalf. <laughs> but a, a one-off pitch from Bluestone Yeast. Or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all three things yeast that he loves to do. And you'll find the email and the phone number in the show notes. So if you look down at your phone right now, you can probably even just press the button and it'll start dialing for you. But anyway, um, Bluestone Yeast, Beer of the Week, what do we think? I Now, I'll be honest, I don't have a Beer of the Week because I haven't had a drink for over a week um, as I recover. I have a beer um, sort of in preparation for heading over to WA in a few weeks' time. So it's a sort of a busy week of travel, um, busy month of travel coming up for all these great beer events. But we're heading over for um, WA Beer Week and the conference and Claire's been doing a little bit of work around sustainability. And so um, I had a beer from Rocky Ridge and it, it was a peach and habanero IPA. And it's not something like I love um, chili in beers, but some of them are not done very well in the sense that you have one sip and you're like, that is so strong, I can't even get through sort of a sip. But what um, I loved about this beer was that you could definitely taste the peach. You got the warmth from the chili, but then it kind of like it wasn't, it didn't burn you is the best way that I can describe it. And (laughs) And you still got the hops. So I had that last night while I was taking my toddler to the park. Um, and just as a little, you just like a mum. I did. I put. It, I had the beer in the back of the pram. You didn't put it in a coffee mug or anything like that. No, I had a hide your shame. What, what do you call them? In, I had a like a sippy koozie. Cup. No, oh. what do you call them here? A beer, beer cooler. Beer cooler. Because um, I'm a classy mum, um, and it was perfect. It hit was the it spot. Really nice? It was really nice. I loved the chili. I was like, oh, this is experimental. I may or like it. Loved mm-hmm. it. Drank the whole thing. So that's my beer of the week. It's well, very, done. Um, well done, Rocky Ridge. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm looking forward to getting over to WA. It's funny because if you go back to the 80s um, and the 90s, chili beer was like chili beer was the extreme beer of the day. Like whenever there's a beer festival, and I remember yeah. that the newspapers would always run a story on, and they've got a chili, and it was just basically you know like a chili stuffed in a bottle of, in, in every bottle of beer to <laughs> make a um, yeah. Um, and you know it, it, it's interesting that we've come full circle, and now we're starting to see chili beers. But, but it's it. chili beers with a finesse, right? Like that's what I think is finesse, so. Yeah. We're getting we're getting to the stage mm. where these things are not like. It must Gimmicky. be. It, yeah. it, it doesn't need to be the most sort of – it's not like right at the front of beers. We're now getting to where we can have these things that are sort of – you're still drinking a beer. Mm-hmm. Like the, the flat, it's a beer and then you've just got these things on the side, which is the – you know, I'm not all for beer that doesn't taste like beer, but that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> and from memory, there, there was I – did, I did the stories from um, – CBC, including the alcohol-free beers. And mm-hmm. I think it was Garrett Oliver who was talking about some brewers are putting a little bit of – just a little bit of chilli into um, their beers because the beers don't have the um, – I think it was the trigeminal that, you know, thing that the, – the, the trigeminal sense that um, alcohol brings to a beer. So when you've got alcohol-free, you don't have that little bit of a burn and just a touch of oh, chilli. Oh, interesting. Just trying yeah. to replicate – an alcoholic beer, though. Yeah, now I don't, don't, don't particularly don't the hops burn, right? Like I don't that have my sort notes. of. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's actually more because hops is the, the hops burn. Now, I'm, I'm no tasting scientist, but you know, 
our taste buds have sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and umami. Mm. But then there's the whole trigeminal um, thing that uh, alcohol brings, which is separate to those. And I think there's just something about the the burn of the capucin um, mimics at low doses. It, it is my under, it, it, that's sort of what I took away from it. Wow. So uh, yeah, so you know, maybe alcohol-free brewers start throwing a little bit of uh, capucin in your in your beer to replace the alcohol. Interesting. Oh, good to know. I don't know. No, again, that, that was completely <laughs> on. I, I, I wasn't paying that great an attention to the technical side of it, but it certainly seemed to make sense. Excellent. On the opposite side of that, I hope I'm allowed to talk about it. Um, when I did pop to Brewdog, you might remember that we wrote a story about past- them bringing in a pasteurizer and also bringing in shandies. Oh, yeah. So I got yeah, to yeah, try yeah. a prototype of the shandy, and I have to say... I loved it. it so, great. like a shandy in a can, as opposed to yeah, yeah. like top when you up. do it at the yeah, yeah at the tap. Um, yeah, so it was in a can. Um, really lemony. Yeah. Uh, you still get the beer, but the lemon's really strong as well, and I loved that. I'll be really interested to see if, like if you like it, Sabrina, because I do think the lemon might overtake the beer yeah. a little, just a touch. But in like a really nice, refreshing. Oh my god, I would love that. In the Queensland summer kind of way. Matt, what's the difference between a radler and a shandy? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, that's no, what I thought. Well, it's the it's same just, thing, yeah, like, right? It's just British and, and to call brewers, it a shandy, I think. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. I think shandy was what your grandma drank. Yeah. Radler yeah. was what a cool craft beer person drank because it was named after – it yeah. was named in German. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, was just about to say, it's not yeah. Radler, mate. Like, <laughs> I was like, you could get a little bit of the, like, going on when you say it. Yeah, but, but it, essentially it was because German, my, my understanding is Germans didn't have a mid-strength culture, but they have a you know an outdoorsy culture. And, you know, because you served a mass of, you know, a litre of beer, you know, a litre of full-strength beer is going to knock you about and you may not get home, you know, from your alpine meadow rubber side down. So... <laughs> When I was a teenager in Germany, so, you know, 20 years ago, um, even more than 20 years ago, the the flavour mixes, so a cola with beer in a can, a Fanta flavour with beer in a can, Mm -hmm. um, was all very standard. So that that was um, everywhere, which is why... Radler was like a really normal thing that mm-hmm. you would drink all the time in a can. And it's sort of um, – we've had – I think I remember seeing somewhere somebody had trademarked Radler in Australia or New Zealand. No, that was New Zealand and yeah. that was Drinkworks or um, – DB. DB. Yeah. DB and yeah. they, they trademarked Saison and Radler, yeah. um, which was amazing. But in fact, there were stories uh, on Brews News that was – I think – was it Bruise News or was it Beer Mat um, in, in those days? It might have even been pre-Bruise News. I was laughing because when we were looking at the trademarks recently, somebody was trying to trademark, I can't remember what the word was, but it was a really basic beer word. And I was like, oh, come on, guys, like <laughs> just go away. But, yeah, so um, that'll be interesting, a shandy at a brew dog. But it's, hey, I agree with you, Queensland weather. I sometimes order a shandy at the bar, which people still find cringeworthy to order and I bloody love it. I've never heard or seen anyone order a shandy before. I'm very intrigued. We should do that when we go out. I do it because (laughs) sometimes in the summer and you and if you're driving I want to you know like it's all of the things. Who cares? Why not? Yeah why not? There you go. Well there you go Matt. I would uh, have a a shandy as well. I've got 
you know, good luck to them. Yeah, yeah. What, hell yeah. what pleases you. Exactly. <laughs> and let's face it, if you know, when, when you anyone who rolls their eyes at uh, a brewer making a shandy um, when other brewers are making seltzers and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> Coca-Cola chupa chups, bear. It's a brave new world. It's a post-craft world that we're in. And, uh, you know, drink drink what pleases you. Yeah, what you like. Well, that's the news of the week and probably a lot more discussion than you needed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As always. Um, You may agree with us. You may not. Um, you, you may have strong views, um, and please let us know. You can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. Um, you can review the podcast on, on your favorite podcasting service. Um, you can join our Facebook group um, on Facebook, or clearly. Um, just search for Radio Brews News. But that wraps up another week of news, views, and discussion. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Claire Burnett. Thank you to you both. Cheers, Matt. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Hilda. We thank Cry Malt, Rallings, Labels, Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. If you've had a story read out and you don't have one already, you just drop us a note and give us your postal address and we'll send you a bar blade. Thanks to our friends at Thirsty Merch. And with that, we're out. Boom.